This podcast is a product of the 4th and Inches Network. A podcast network designed to keep Husky fans up to date on their favorite programs around UW. Enjoy the show and go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs. And welcome back to another edition of the Dog and Duck Show. This is Warren Maynard. I am the dog. With me, as always, is Mark Schmore. He is the duck. Uh, stay tuned. We have got a special guest, Mike Martin from Real Dog, will be joining us in just a moment. Uh, but we are reporting right on the heels of what is now being referred to as the DeBoer Day massacre a massive flurry of husky recruits who have come in over the last nine days but before we get into that mark as always how are you doing my friend i am i am doing great and could not be more excited to hear about uh what the debor day massacre is i mean uh because uh, i think for for oregon fans it would mean something completely different so <laughs> excited to hear how how washington fans interpret that all right well we're gonna get into that we've got mike waiting in the wings but as we like to do we we always start off with some dog and duck news the the big headline of course is the debor day massacre but um this just popped up today exciting news for uh wa- former washington husky basketball basketball player Dejounte murray who of course became really a triple double machine this year with the san antonio spurs he has been traded for uh dino gallinari and three first uh, round draft picks to the atlanta hawks he will be joining trey young uh in the backcourt and uh this is an exciting move i think for for murray and his career but also for the atlanta hawks Mark, as you you know, think about the the makeup of that Atlanta Hawks team, what do you think Murray and his you know twenty two points, nine assists, you know almost nine rebounds, what does he bring to this team that uh, maybe the Hawks were missing before? Well, uh, he brings a lot. I mean, he's a multi dimensional talent for sure. I think he made his first All Star game this past year. What he what he really brings is he brings a second uh, guy that can initiate the offense along with Trey Young. Where Trey Young has been just kind of doing the bulk of that for Atlanta, and they've kind of had to sink or swim based on whatever he's able to create. Now you've got a guy in Dejounte Murray that's maybe a little more comfortable even facilitating to others than he is just kind of taking over himself. And I would think that'll create a lot more opportunities for Trey Young off the ball, you know, to uh, to be running off screens and things like that, getting into getting into lane and, and, you know, catching the ball, cutting to the basket rather than having to create one-on-one. So it just gives them two really, really talented playmakers that I think should complement one another pretty well because Trey Young loves to score and DeJounte Murray loves to facilitate but they're also capable of kind of trading those roles off as necessary so i think it's a great pickup for atlanta and 
and I think a, a real loss for San Antonio it tells me San Antonio is fully in rebuilding mode that they were not willing to commit long-term to, you know, as we mentioned, probably one of the top 25 players in the league. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's, that is obviously what the Spurs are looking at is a total rebuild reload three first round draft picks that, you know, that could bode really well for them, but boy, is it hard to let go of a guy at the early stage of his prime who has the potential of being, you know, a, a, a constant triple double machine for the next six to 10 years. So uh, big time moves. We'll get into some more NBA news after we uh, cover the main headline for today. But with that, let's go ahead and welcome our special guest, the owner, the mastermind of Real Dog, uh, Mike Martin. Mike, how are you doing? Um, I'm getting writer's cramp, and it's not in my brain, but in my fingers, because you called it the Gabor Day Massacre, and it, it is, um, and you also called it flurries, and if you're from Ohio, you know that flurries last for, you know, three, four hours. This has gone on for 10 commits in 10 days, and um, there's, there's a sign that it's letting up, but we might be seeing one or two in the next 24 hours. Yeah, so let's let's get into this. This is absolutely incredible. I think it would be fair to say that this is a historic uh, season for the Huskies. Uh, you know, Mark and I have talked. Mark and I have talked ad nauseum about the lack of momentum in Husky recruiting, and seemingly just feeling like we are just lagging way behind the Oregon Ducks. Uh, coming into uh, about 10 days ago, the Huskies were ranked 69 in recruiting rankings. And over the last 10 days, uh, they've added 11 new commits. They've raised uh, themselves in the recruiting rankings to number 17 in the nation, number two in the Pac-12 behind USC and boy, talk about a change in momentum. Courtney Morgan, director of, of recruiting for the, the Washington Huskies, has done a phenomenal job. And with the absolute most beautiful weekend of the year, the Huskies scored on a massive recruiting visit from, what was it, Mike, 17 different guys? Well, well, no, they they, uh, well, they, they brought in uh, over the, the span of uh, from Monday to Sunday, they had a 22 or 23 22 on guys. campus. Yeah. All right. Well, Mike, give me your kind of your, your initial thoughts first. By the way, Mike, you and uh, Trevor and Roman did an incredible job reviewing uh, each of the players individually. Um, after this weekend on Monday, if you haven't listened to that podcast, check out the fourth and inches podcast where they review, uh, the first eight recruits that committed, but Mike, just give, give me your initial impressions about what happened and how were the dogs able to see such a massive turn in momentum and, uh, 
you know, create this kind of an excitement around committing to the Huskies fairly early in the, in the program? Well, you know, it is, it's the energy um, that these, they called it no sleep uh, June, Courtney Morgan started calling it no sleep June, but this, you know, I, th- I think it was uh, for Husky fans, it was no sleep February, March, April, and May as they waited for somebody to do something. Rasheed Williams kind of got the ball rolling. Yeah. Um, and and then that that kind of oh got a four star and and then then there was the the visit by Anthony James that really kind of I think put a lot of people on notice because about three weeks after his visit to Washington he decommitted. But in my interview with him after his Washington visit, you could tell that there was something different going on at Washington, just as he talked about how uh, the how they felt with the relationship with the coaches. And, it, and they weren't saying, the guy that's recruiting me, I'm really tight with him. They all talked about, man, it's not just um, my position coach, but guys on the offense, uh, the head coach, they're all doing all these things. But also along the way, um, there was a guy um, uh, out of, he was a, he's a late commit uh, on signing day, and I'm trying to think of his name. Um, what is his name? Anyway, he was, um, he told me that, that the way that this coaching staff looks after the players, not just um, where they're, they're standing, but where, like, on the field, but academically and with their families. Mm-hmm. And he was having trouble, Tristan Dunn, he was having trouble academically, and the Huskies were there every step along the way, making sure that he was on track. And when he finally got his academics in order, the Huskies uh, made him that offer, and he decommitted from Arizona State to Washington. And that, to me, the way that these guys talk about this staff staff is that the staff is investing in each of these kids, and these kids feel it, and they feel connected to this coaching staff. And when they all came up to campus, they didn't bring them up there and turn the screws and have them, oh, Anthony, go out and get in this kid's ear. They didn't do anything like that. Uh, they, they said, you know, go up and have a good time. And they built a brotherhood. They built that bond between the players. And without recruiting the players, uh, really kind of hard recruiting them, they got these kids to just buy what they were selling. Hmm. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, I think um, the, the Huskies under Chris Peterson – really i think their their mentality their mantra often was steak not sizzle and what i'm getting from what i saw this weekend with those guys you know out on the the yachts eating the nice food doing some fun activities like jumping into the cut i see deboer and that and courtney morgan and that crew saying hey you know what we can be steak and sizzle is that is that kind of how you saw uh, the way that they approached this, as opposed to maybe the way Chris Peterson looked at things? Well, yes and yes, um, yes because it is a steak, it is sizzle, 
Um, and they did it. They're doing it the same as Chris Peterson, but differently. Um, and Chris Peterson did a lot of individual recruiting. Uh, it seems like where they're doing this is recruiting uh, a bunch of players and building that momentum. And I, I will say the one thing that should not be overlooked about the recruiting momentum is how it has gotten a lot of guys off their chairs in June, in late June, and it's going to carry over to July. And it's not just winning on the recruiting trail, but it's winning and I think it's going to put a lot more butts in the seat because I think that people are going to have higher expectations for the product on the field because if they're going to show this level of commitment to recruiting, what are they going to show uh, in the product on the field? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good insight. I think there's no doubt that this program has been needing a shot in the arm and they could have gotten, you know, 11 recruits, over three or four months and ultimately had the same guys on the, on, you know, on the list. But I think seeing all of them come in in such a short amount of time, it certainly has re-energized this, this fan base. And yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of guys like me that are like, okay, let's go. We're back on the horse. We're moving in the right direction. So Mike, what I want to do is, um, I'm going to read through just a basic summary of um, the players that we've got. By the way, I give you credit for this. You did an excellent job of putting this together. And um, then I want to just ask you a few questions about some superlatives from, from this, this cluster of 11 guys who have um, jumped on to the, who have, who have woofed and made themselves dogs over the last 11 days. So, and this is not in any order of chron you know, chronological or ranking, but just as I was able to assemble the list. So we've got three-star offensive tackle, uh, Zachary Henning, four-star uh, athlete, Vincent Holmes, three-star offensive tackle, Elisha Jacket, three-star running back, Tybo Rogers, three-star uh, offensive lineman, Landon Hatchett, who committed today, um, Three-star Jordan Whitney, um, uh, three-star linebacker Jordan Whitney, three-star edge rusher Jacob Lane, local kid, um, four-star defensive lineman, highly ranked kid Anthony James, who was once uh, a Texas A&M commit, three-star uh, defensive lineman from uh, St. John Bosco, Sula Foto. We got our quarterback today. Uh, kind of an under-the-radar guy, but I think one that a lot of guys are really excited about, uh, Lincoln Kineholz, and then three-star defensive back, Diesel Gordon. So let me just kind of ask you a couple questions about these guys. The first one being, who would you say out of this group is the guy that is the, the, the straw that's going to stir the drink for this class? Um, I, you know, the... I really just just from a personal note, I really wanted Jaden Limar to be a Husky, mm. but uh, the Huskies wanted uh, Tybo Rogers. Mm. Uh, he can line up in the slot. He can be a running back, and I think that they 
can have a guy that can do a lot of different things in that offense, be what I think we've expected Sean McGrew to be, be what we expected uh, Gavin, um, Christian Gavin, and so many other guys that we thought that this is what they were going to do with them, but he can actually line up in the slot. He can be a running back. And I think that this shows you kind of what they're looking for is guys that are versatile, guys that aren't mm-hmm. six, seven, three forty uh, at your tackle position. They're, they're wanting guys that uh, maybe a little bit leaner and more athletic mm-hmm. and where they can have an offense that, can drive 80 yards uh, seven times a game. So I think that that is kind of what it says. Uh, the guy on that offense that, that I really like, though, is Lincoln Kineholz. And a lot, of, a lot of people are wondering, you know, why Avery Johnson was ranked higher. I've been really high on this kid since I looked at his tape, since I talked to him. He's a dual-threat quarterback that is a – pure pocket passer he can use his legs to get out of trouble but he is most happy standing in the pocket if you call his number to run ball he'll do it but that's not going to be something that is going up to the the line of scrimmage looking to run he's going to look to pass or hand it off and then when his number is called he can do a lot of good things mm. all right so who is the guy that most surprised you maybe the the guy that wasn't on your radar or you just were not expecting for him to commit over the last nine days? Uh, the guy that when I heard that he committed, I was like, who? And I was like, oh, great. I, I felt like uh, one of those nega dogs out there yeah. was when Jacob Lane committed. Mm. Uh, he was a three-star edge defender. And, and so I was like, okay. Um, that's the type of class that's going to be a, a low, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to backfill it and we're going to take whoever uh, is going to commit. Then I looked at him on film and I'm like, holy cow, this is Joe Tryon part two, except I think he's maybe a little bit ahead of where Joe Tryon is at this point in, a, in his high school career. And I think that Joe Tryon was sort of one of those, uh, early edge defenders and now the groundwork has been laid for Jacob Lane so I could see where his ceiling is incredibly high tremendous work ethic a uh, freak of an athlete yeah so he's a he's a guy that that was not on your radar but you know taking some time to look at what he brings to the table has a high upside and that kind of leads to my next question was who do you think in this group is that guy that is going to be the guy that, that, that far outperforms his current ranking? Is there a guy that, you know, you think, Oh, this is, this guy could be a BBK. This guy could be, you know, um, a miles Gaskin that just goes well beyond what, what their current ranking, um, you know, would suggest. Well, and this is going to, make you go really um and this is what trevor and i were discussing i think you probably heard it in our, in our podcast but anthony james um i think that he is a little bit underrated i think that he's going to move dramatically through the rankings as the season progresses mm-hmm. he has a very high ceiling he is 
physically everything that you want from a guy that can play multiple multiple positions on that defensive line. But it's his first step and his violent punches uh, that really kind of separate him. And he has multiple moves at each of those positions. Wow. Well, as a highly ranked four star, if he you know blows away that ranking, you know, then you're talking about uh, a ZTF, a KT type of impact on the Pac-12, which would be. If you, if you go back and look at at, at uh, the scout look that Trevor put out there, those are the two names that he attached to that scout look. Wow! Wow! Okay, so Mike. Um, Last question about this group right now, uh, but but you know you mentioned that there may be another one on the way. We we've got you know some indicators now. We're we're learning how this new staff operates. When Courtney Morgan knows that a recruit is pending to to commit, um, a lot of times we'll see a, a an ambulance emoji or a firecracker emoji juice brown likes to use the um uh oh gosh i'm blanking out on the rapper's name but um tupac yeah tupac uh man uh long day tupac doing the 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 west coast dubs up signal so um right after um kindholz committed we saw another Tupac dubs up from Juice Brown. What do you know about that? Any ideas or who do you think is going to be the next Husky to pop? The one that I think a lot of people are looking for um, is, uh, is Curly. Um, Curly. Curly Reed? Curly Reed, yeah. I think that's the guy that a lot of people have been expecting and I think that he may be given that that juice is uh, doing that um, I think that's going to be one there are a couple of other defensive backs um, that I think one of being be, be end up being huskies uh, Leroy Bryant Jordan uh, Sanford and Curly Reed I think are three that are going to eventually be huskies they've done a great job um with with these uh with these guys and i think curly is uh and if he does i have a great headline but i'm not gonna you talk about dad jokes this is gonna be the ultimate dad joke um but i think he's probably uh the one that everybody is is kind of in the back channels of twitter i think a lot of chatter is is about him uh being a husky yeah yeah. Well, that would be a big time get to pull out a four star cornerback out of Louisiana. Um, you know, especially noting that although Washington has established itself as the DBU of the West Coast, that was under the previous regime. And so for Juice Brown and William Inge and, and Chuck Morrell to be able to bring in that kind of quality defensive player when Right now, the, the reputation is that this is a an offensive uh, coaching staff. That would be a tremendous victory on the recruiting trail, uh, along with some of these other guys, like you mentioned, four-star Jor- Jordan Sanford, who right now 
Um, you know, it's crystal balled to Washington, three-star uh, cornerback Leroy Bryant, also crystal balled to Washington, uh, three-star athlete uh, Tayshawn Lyons, crystal balled to Washington. So, Mike, I guess the last question I have as we wrap up this uh, this special part of the show, but you know, I've, I, I'm getting mixed reports. Maybe you might be able to help me and the, the listening audience on this, but how many guys are we expecting for this class? Because right now we're at 14. There's another three or four guys that we think could commit at any moment. Um, at what point is this class full? We're hearing um, uh, 22, 23 spots available. Um, I think there are, with the three departures, I think there are, uh, three more spots open, but I think that that you undersign and then fill with some grad transfers. I expect there to be uh, some grad transfers to kind of come in and um, and while they they get guys that are come from similar systems, while they get guys comfortable in this system, so I I could actually see them signing. Um, 18, 19 guys. Yeah, that would be great. I think that that seems like a great number for the dogs to shoot for and uh, keeps us relevant in the recruiting rankings, I think. Um, so great stuff, Mike. Uh, Mark, I don't know if you've got any stuff that you want to bring up to, to Mike before we let well, him go. I've got, one, I've got a question about one player for you, Mike, uh, and that is... Uh, the cornerback from Rainier Beach High School, Caleb Presley, four-star cornerback. Uh, my understanding is, is that he had kind of narrowed his list to six. He had posted something that he was going to make an official decision uh, later, you know, in the coming days, and that both Washington and Oregon were in his top six. But then I see now that as of today, uh, 247 has given – a crystal ball prediction of Oregon for Caleb Presley, which would be a second highly touted recruit from Rainier Beach High School to commit to the Ducks in in the last couple of months. Are you hearing anything about uh, Caleb Presley's future? Um, I, I think a lot. There's a lot of chatter that uh, that he's going down to Eugene. Um, I've known him for quite some time. Haven't talked to him probably nine months. Um, uh, I I don't want to. I I could see either way. I could you know you you look at the confidence level of some of these crystal balls and you know it'll be a guy that, that says he's going to be a duck, but then he'll put fifty percent on his um, right. his belief. So then it trends that he is trending to Oregon. Um, I don't know that you could put a whole lot of stock into some of those crystal balls. Um, not, not at this point. I think where things start to trend break late is where you start to see like there's a lot of crystal balls for the Huskies. And it's based on conversations that, that the national scouts, I don't know if it was national or whatever, that put Presley down to Oregon. Um, I think it's a little bit early on crystal balls because I think that with the momentum that Washington has and that Josiah Wagner uh, went out and left Washington out of his top three, 
I could see, but with all the defensive backs that Washington has, and they're holding off, they may be waiting for, maybe he's the lead domino, and they're waiting to see where he goes. So we were all expecting um, uh, defensive backs to commit by now, yeah. and that they haven't, and then that one is off the board in Josiah Wagner. It kind of tells me that maybe he's the lead domino because with Jaden Wayne now down in Bradenton, Florida at IMG, Caleb Presley becomes the heir apparent to the number one ranking in the state of Washington. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so making that, it, it just, his stature has increased. And mm-hmm. um, I think that his impact on the program, I think the Huskies, can really sell that to him now. Yeah. Well, I believe his official date is uh, Tuesday, July 5th. He's going to make that announcement. So it'll be interesting to see if the crystal ball proves correct or if, or if like you're saying, uh, maybe some late movement for Washington sways him or, or another, another direction. He's got four other schools listed here. It's possible. Yeah, I, I think, you know, from what I'm hearing and seeing on, on Twitter, you know, he is definitely a, a, a strong Oregon lean. I think if the decision were to be made today, he would be a duck. Um, you know, the only thing that the Huskies have going for them as far as that goes with Caleb Presley is he was, um, you know, at UW this weekend, a part of that exciting historic group of guys. And, um, you know, I think the for the maybe the first time in over a year, there's some serious buzz coming out of Montlake. And the question will be, is that enough to perhaps unseat him from his you know, current position and cause him to rethink being a hometown hero with the, the local Huskies? Uh, but I don't think for most Husky fans, they're going to be surprised or even you know, disappointed at this point with a Caleb Presley uh, going to, to Oregon. But man, if he were to change his tune and come to Washington, I think that would be on the level of Buddha Baker decommitting from Oregon and coming to Washington and really changing the state of the Husky program back in 2014. So it'll be something worth looking at. Uh, but I, I, I think Presley, Presley going to Oregon isn't as devastating as you know it might seem, but Presley coming to Washington would be um, really, I think, potentially program altering for this class. Um, so yeah, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Um, before you go, anything on Real Dog that our listeners should be list- should be checking out? Well, we're get- we're working right now on a player database, and it is going to be um, a very good, very interactive um, uh, portion of it that we have not had before on Real Dog. So. We're working on a lot of really good things and we have a lot of really good exclusive content coming up for our members. Awesome. Awesome. Well, stay tuned to real dog, stay tuned to fourth and inches and uh, stay tuned to the dog and duck show. 
Uh, Mike, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch you again. All right, go dogs. Go dogs. All right, Mark, thank you for your um, your patience as we we had to sink our teeth into that meaty steak of a, a weekend. What's going on as far as duck news that that we need to be we need to be aware of? I just mentioned the uh, the Caleb Presley uh, crystal ball. You know the other crystal ball that has be this is so kind of ridiculous, right? Warren is that we spend this time kind of obsessing about a crystal ball prediction that doesn't even necessarily mean anything, but. Uh, five-star quarterback Dante Moore from Michigan has been one of the most sought-after recruits and uh, is being recruited by Michigan and Notre Dame and LSU and Texas A&M. And uh, 247 also just put a crystal ball of Oregon next to Dante Moore. He uh, made a visit out to Eugene, spent some time with Marcus Mariota, and uh, – and there is some optimism right now in, in the Oregon camp that, uh, that they could land one of the most highly touted quarterbacks in the country. So, you know, between those two, and then, and then there were some, some other big names that, uh, that came in, I, I won't um, run through them all, but, but a lot of, you know, different four-star defensive linemen and a four-star linebacker and, and, uh, and some other players of that caliber who, uh, who came in over the weekend to Autzen. And so I think the thinking in, in Oregon circles is, you know, to just kind of be patient. A lot of times these, the more highly touted recruits you have, the longer they take to make up their mind, they've got to schedule the press conference and arrange the different hats and things like that. And so, uh, you know, I, I would point for, for Oregon fans that kind of feel like, oh, well, Oregon is fallen behind Washington on the recruiting trail. I think really it's just a matter of quantity at this point. Washington has signed significantly more players than Oregon has. If you look at the average, you know, star ranking, mm -hmm. that, that still uh, favors the Ducks slightly. Right. Um, but, uh, but I think, yeah, I, we'll think I mean, I, I, just to comment on that, you know, so right now USC is number one in the Pac-12. They've got 11 commits. Their average, you know, composite score is 92 per player, which is, you know, that's upper echelon. Yeah. Recruiting right there. The Ducks have the second highest with a 90.95. So they're not that far behind. And then I think Washington has got a respectable 87. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I think this is going to be probably the range that Husky fans will need to become accustomed to is, you know, maybe 87 to 90, um, which means a healthy mix of, you know, mid-level three stars to some low level four stars. And then every once in a while, we'll, we will get that five star, but you know, it, it's not going, that's just not the way that it's going to work. I think for most, most Husky fans to, to just accept is we're going to, we're going to have um, more meat and potatoes than, you know, these nationally recognized guys coming to Washington. Uh, but yeah, to your point, I think the numbers will shake out. 
but as it stands right now, Oregon is fifth in the Pac-12 in recruiting ranking, Washington second, but that literally could change overnight with two or three recruits. Right. Yeah. And it, and it does seem like the guys that Oregon is still going after are all, they've got four stars next to their name at a minimum, you know, Um, that that's kind of who they're, they're in the mix for right now. So it'll be interesting to, uh, to see how that, that shakes out. It does seem like uh, there's kind of a wave right now of guys, guys who want to have that commitment kind of made before their senior year in Mm -hmm. high school. You know, that's kind of the wave that we're seeing right now is, is for these next couple months kind of leading into um, the next school year is there's some guys that are just kind of want to kind of get that question answered. And so it'll be interesting to see how many of those Oregon can land. Absolutely. Well, let's wrap up with um, some other sports talk. Uh, Mark, just real quick, you know, I, I feel like I'm always the guy that's bringing up NIL stuff. Um, reportedly, a five-star quarterback, Jaden Rashada, um, has committed to the University of Miami, Mario Cristobal. Um, there are some rumors that he is going to be receiving an NIL deal upwards of $9.5 million. Um, just any any thoughts about that? Do you, do you think that do we just do we just have to throw all that out as just make believe or um, is this really happening? Well, I know that he Rashada immediately came out and both denied the the details of that NIL deal. Basically, said that's completely untrue, and I won't be addressing this further. Which which is a convenient way of you know. Uh, of just kind of avoiding it as a conversation topic. Um, and I think that's going to be the norm. I think we're going to see, you know, kind of these absurd deals come out and then the player is going to deny it and then they're going to refuse to talk about it. And we're just going to kind of be left to wonder, you know, how much of it's true, how much of it's rumor. I have, I have no idea, you know, the veracity of that particular claim. My guess is, is he's, he's got some sort of, deal in the works that's going to compensate him uh pretty well uh but i don't i don't know uh i mean it'll be interesting to see warren with with this kind of next class or two of how many guys were those kinds of deals kind of seem to come out like immediately you know like if you take the top 10 quarterbacks in a recruiting class are they all going to have something like that kind of attached to their name or is it going to be, because right now it's been kind of selective. It's been, Oh, there's a rumor that, you know, Tennessee got this quarterback with this right. exorbitant deal. About eight but million not, dollars. Yeah. yeah. But you're not necessarily hearing that about, you know, whatever you don't hear that about Arch Manning who just committed to Texas, you know um, now granted if, if your dad is, <laughs> is a former nfl player then uh, his dad is actually cooper manning oh that's that's right that's right his dad is manning but yeah he's uh, got the manning name but he doesn't necessarily have the manning fortune yeah at least to the extent that eli and peyton's you know family will have but for a guy like that who obviously has clear like nfl aspirations you know in that family you're not like 
you're not looking for just, oh, where can I, where can I get the most, most dollars? You're looking at it as like, this is a decision for my future to try to make me an NFL player. Right. I want to, I want to be a first round pick in the NFL draft. Like my two uncles were, uh, that makes the decision to go to Texas to me a little puzzling. <laughs> like I, I still don't know necessarily why he's putting in with, with Steve Sarkeesian, but I have to think it was more the pitch of how he sees that program's trajectory than it has to do with whatever the NIL incentive is of, of going to Texas. So, you know, you, you brought up a good point. Like if two five-star quarterbacks, this Tennessee quarterback and Jaden Rashad at Miami, if they're getting eight or $9 million deals, um, Oregon is pursuing a five-star quarterback in Dante Moore. Are you going to be more surprised by a big, you know, sticker price tag of nine, $10 million or not hearing anything at all? Like, Oh, there is no NIL, you know, invitation as far as, you know, bringing him to, to Oregon. What, what would cause you more surprise or shock? Uh, that's a good question. I think um, it certainly wouldn't surprise me at this stage of the game if any sort of NIL stuff comes out about a player. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if So if, if this guy commits to Oregon and then it surfaces that he's got a pretty sweet deal that was set up for him by this collective that's working on behalf of the University of Oregon – that wouldn't surprise me, uh, but I think I don't know that whatever Oregon has to offer in that realm is going to be significantly better than whatever Michigan or LSU or Texas A&M or some of these other schools. I mean, we know that Texas A&M is, is pretty aggressive in this department. So I just I, I, I get the sense that if he's going to end up landing at Oregon, it's going to be a few other factors that are going to have to weigh into that decision. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, let's keep, let's keep moving. Let's talk a little NBA. Last time we recorded a podcast, we were right on the, the, the doorstep of, of uh, Golden State overcoming the Boston Celtics, which they did. That's ancient history. But as you reflect now on that um, NBA finals and the NBA season, Mark, any takeaways from from the finals that you think um, you know bear relevance or further conversation moving forward? Yeah, I mean, uh, we we can take this a few different ways. Uh, I'll I'll just kind of highlight a couple, and then maybe we can dig in. Uh, so four titles in eight years for the Warriors. The last team to do that was the '90s Bulls, uh, who had. I think four titles in six years and they had six titles in a span of eight years. So, uh, I mean, that's rarefied air when you get, I think magic's Lakers was the last team before that to, to have something similar. So we're talking about now one of the, the great extended runs for a franchise in history mm-hmm. and, and worth noting that Kevin Durant was, was on essentially like a minority of those finals teams mm-hmm. at this point, yeah. you know? Um, that they they won a title before him, they won a title after him, they won 73 games before him. Uh, they made it to the finals the year that he got hurt in the second round of the playoffs. They still advanced to the finals. So, uh, so that kind of you know blip where they 
felt like they were one of the greatest teams of all time because they had Durant and Curry together in their prime. Mm -hmm. uh, it almost, that is now being overshadowed by the fact that they have really put together this extended run that, you know, was really just hindered by injuries the last couple seasons. I mean, multiple season ending injuries for Clay Thompson, Steph Curry missed a ton of games with injury two years ago when they had the worst record in the league. But I think this title kind of, you know, validates in some ways kind of the legacy that was started before, before Durant went, went there, you know, which is that yeah. this is one of the all time great teams uh, still like they've, they're still when healthy, the best team in the league. And that's, that's something that I don't think many people would have considered to be true coming into this season. Without a doubt. And that, that Steph, Clay, Draymond trio really is arguably one of the, the, the greatest trios of all time. And for them to, to do that as all homegrown talent, yeah. they were not, they were not the Miami heat of right. LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and, uh, and, uh, I'm a Chris Bosch. Yeah. Um, you know, the, these guys kind of grew up together. Nobody expected these guys to be all-time greats coming out of high school or college. And they have found a way to maximize their talents to cover each other's weaknesses. And this has put them, like you said, on a historic uh, pace and really, I think you have to take away after watching them in the NBA finals and seeing the youthfulness that has been added to the roster with Wiggins and Poole and, um, and then three first-round draft picks that really hardly have even um, begun to scratch the surface of their, of their potential. There's no reason to think that this team couldn't get another two or three years of NBA finals appearances on their, their resume sheet. So, you know, I mean, if you just were to, to lop off uh, Steph Curry's career, the Golden State Warriors um, legacy tomorrow, it would be one of the best resumes you could ever have, but the resume is still being written. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, um, yeah, and and to your point about the trio, I I put them with, I think Duncan Parker and Ginobili of the Spurs mm -hmm. is the only other homegrown trio that I can think of that has done what these guys have done in terms of staying together for ten plus years, winning this number of titles. That group, Duncan won five, but Parker and Ginobili were on were four of those teams. Mm -hmm. They were all together for a decade or more. So, uh, unparalleled, you know, or I guess paralleled by one other one other trio that we've had uh i've i've got a, a couple kind of legacy points for some of the individuals in this dynasty i just want to touch on with you yeah uh, one is draymond green and here's warren i was thinking about this is i think i've got draymond on like four different mount rushmores now okay <laughs> i think he's on the i think he's on the mount rushmore of like the love him if he's on your team, hate him if he's on the other team. You know, he's on there with like Bill Lambeer mm -hmm. on that, that Mount Rushmore. Rambus. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the, the guy where it's like, they just drive you nuts if they're on the opposing team. But if they're on your team, you're just kind of like, 
love everything he's doing. Uh, but he's also on the Mount Rushmore of like the guy who might fly off the handle and completely ruin it for his team at any moment, but also might be the best player on the floor for five minutes when they need him. And so that's like a group with like Rashid Wallace, Ron Artest, Meta World Peace, you know, gets on that like, like of, of kind of the like, the head case where they bring more to the table than they take off the table, but you're always a little bit concerned that, that they're going to snap at the wrong moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got him on the Mount Rushmore of like the greatest players who cannot shoot. So mm-hmm. like Rajon Rondo would be on that, you know, Mount Rushmore of like these guys were mm-hmm. like, you, they really should be able to shoot with everything else that they can do. And Draymond did have a good shooting game and finally in game six of the finals, but, the, but for the most part, they were leaving him wide open and he was clanking brick after brick after brick. And it was infuriating on the one level. And then on the other level, he's doing so many other things that it kind of makes up for it. Yeah. And then I've got him on the Mount Rushmore of this is, this is maybe the one that I'm, I'm, I'm questioning, but I think he's at least in the conversation of like the greatest defensive players of all time. Mm. And I say that because I think Dennis Rodman is on all four Mount Rushmore's that I just named as well. I think he was on the, the love him if he's on your team, hate him if he's on the other team. He's also the head case that you're not really sure if he's going to fly off the handle at the right time. He also was not a threat to shoot the ball at all and yet was so effective for his team. So I think if, if anything, it just kind of caps Draymond as he is this generation's mm. Dennis Rodman, uh, a little better offensive play, well, quite a bit better offensive player than Dennis was in terms of his ball handling and his passing ability and his ability to facilitate the offense. Rodman didn't really do that. But in terms of like two guys that just totally affected a game, uh, even when, you know, they could finish with two points mm-hmm. and have a major impact on the game, uh, I just kind of wanted to articulate, you know, the many ways in which Draymond. Uh, reminds me of of the great Dennis Rodman. The the Dennis Rodman comparison is really a strong one because what Rodman brought to the tape team and what Draymond brought to the team is a guy who can impact the game in significant ways without having to be the ball handler or the primary scorer, and that's what make those guys so magical. They they had. You know, I mean, Dennis Rodman needed an Isaiah Thomas and a Joe Dumars for him to be able to be who he was. He needed a a, a Scottie Pippen and a Michael Jordan to be who he was. But him being who he was with those guys made the team so good. Same with Draymond. You could never make him your number one guy. You can't, you, you really cannot build a team around him but as the ultimate glue guy the ultimate fill in the gap guy uh, you're right he is on that mount rushmore now mark just as a you know kind of a a point of you know reference i looked up online uh twinspires.com uh greatest defensive players of all time uh, probably no surprise deserves to be at the top of the list bill russell Um, as the greatest defensive player of all time. Really, he was a guy that he's a a top 10 all-time NBA great basketball player and was not a 
you know, dynamic score, which just goes to show how incredible yeah. his defense. But in addition to that, Akeem Olajuwon, uh, Scotty Pippen, Dennis Rodman, uh, Michael Jordan, Dikembe Mutombo, um, Kevin Garnett, Gary Payton, um, David Robinson, and Tim Duncan. So those are the guys that make this particular list. Do you think purely on defense alone, take out the scoring for the, some of these guys on the list, take out the other stuff that Draymond does, purely defense. Are you saying that you think he belongs in that top 10 list? So I think he and Rodman exist in a different plane than the rest of those guys for the reason that they're the most versatile. Uh, so you've got the Bill Russell, Tim Duncan types that are rim protectors. Mm-hmm. And basically they're not, they're not playing 18 feet away from the basket ever. You know, they're hanging out around the rim. They're controlling the pain area. They're getting a ton of rebounds. They're blocking shots. They're doing all that. Dikembe Mutombo, Ben Wallace, those guys. Uh, and then there's like the kind of the perimeter stoppers, which would be like the Scotty Pippins, the Kawhi Leonard's, which is like, you're going to put them on the best scorer, the best ball handler, mm-hmm. and they're going to make, make life miserable. Andrew Wiggins kind of played that role in this year's, mm-hmm. uh, not that he's on that level, but I mean, but he, he played a really, really strong um, mm-hmm. playoffs this year doing that kind of work. I think where Draymond and, and Rodman are kind of different is that they can, they can shut down the best player. Uh, the, in game two of the finals this year, they moved Draymond onto Jalen Brown just to cause problems for him. Jalen Brown was great in game one. They put Draymond, Draymond on him. He really struggled in game two. Uh, but Draymond didn't stay on Jalen Brown. Mm. You know, they, they moved some other guys on there because Draymond is kind of that Swiss army knife where he's going to go where he's most needed. He's almost better when he's not guarding the best player because then he can help and guard anyone else who needs help. And Rodman kind of did that same thing where if Rodman got, got switched out onto some perimeter player, you were never worried about, you know, Dennis Rodman having to guard a point guard for a couple possessions. That, that wasn't a, a bother to you, but it was Dennis Rodman would make plays all over the floor, helping out, yeah. other defenders and and I think so that's where I, I'm not necessarily saying that Draymond and Rodman are better than Bill Russell or better than Scottie Pippen I, I just think that in my mind um, they're certainly in that kind of group of the top 10 or so guys but but they kind of stick out to me as the two guys that could do the most mm-hmm. that it really didn't matter who they got matched up on they could kind of take on that challenge regardless. And, and I think that's what I'll, I'll remember about his career. All right. So since we're in that mode of thinking about, you know, rankings and greatest of all times, let's talk about Steph Curry. I mean, again, the resume is spectacular if it ends tomorrow, but it's still being written. But I think now with that fourth NBA championship with you know, a resurgence uh, after a couple of years between injury and depleted roster, the, the conversation is rightfully beginning to heat up to say, does Steph Curry belong in the conversation of the top 10 greatest players of all time? And, you know, just again, as a reminder, 
we we talked about this a few months ago, but um, the Athletic published its top, you know, seventy-five, and just uh, again as a reminder, number one Jordan, number two LeBron, number three Kareem, number four Russell, number five Magic, number six Wilt, number seven Bird, number eight Shaq, number nine Duncan, number ten Kobe. So to say that Steph Curry is a top 10 greatest of all time. You got to take one of those guys off that top 10 list. Are you prepared to do that? So I think as, as I, as I listen to that list, I see, um, I kind of put Jordan to me is, is one, but I've got Jordan, LeBron, Kareem, Russell and magic all kind of exist in like the top two. Like to me, that's the top five. I don't care how you order it. Like those five kind of stand alone. Wilt is kind of like Babe Ruth where I just don't know what to do with the numbers that he put mm-hmm. up. Like, I mean, you know, he, he didn't win as many as Russell, but it's like, it's hard to discount a guy that could average 50 points a game for the season. So it's like Will Chamberlain, I think is just going to always be on that list somewhere. Um, and so then you've got what the six through 10 on there, I think in some order was Bird, Shaq, Kobe, Duncan. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think Curry is in conversation with those four players. And you could tell me that he's 11th or you could tell me that he's sixth. That's kind of where I'm at with that. And and that applies to every single one of those other guys, Duncan, Kobe, Shaq, and Bird. Like I, I don't see a great deal of difference amongst those players. Um, it's it's kind of a choose choose what you like the most. Like I think Shaq was probably the most dominant at the peak of his powers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Duncan kind of had the best start to finish career of all of those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Bird was maybe the most versatile. You know, so it's kind of like it, 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 it's kind of how you want to shake it. So I wouldn't spend a lot of time trying to like make a declarative argument that like Steph Curry is, is unequivocally better than, you know, Larry Bird or Kobe Bryant or Shaquille O'Neal. But I think he's now, in my mind, he's in that same conversation where if I'm rattling off guys, I'm, I'm going to say, Steph along with those names before I say anybody else and he's he's still not done like you know they could they could still have another run in them I think that's you know a little unlikely at this point um with how old he is but uh I think he's certainly in that conversation what what do you say to that you know for me this is where like because of my age because of the era that I grew up in it's really hard for me to not let nostalgia get in the way because when I was growing up, I mean, it was, it was magic and bird. And then it was the ascension of Jordan. Sure. Right. And so I got to kind of enjoy both of those as a kid, it was just understood that the two best basketball players in the NBA were uh, with the Lakers and the Celtics and there was no question about that until Jordan, you know, just overtook everything uh, for the better part of 
you know, a decade. And, you know, but I think for me, what makes this so hard is the fact that the game and the, the way that players are able to sustain their careers and protect their bodies now compared to back then um, really is what makes this difficult. Magic, we know what happened with him, you know, contracting the AIDS virus, how that, you know, kind of derailed his career and then shortened his career. Uh, but with Bird, it was the the back injuries and just the wear and tear on his body. And so I think that if you're going to truly just look at what these guys accomplished, I think you've got to begin to say that Steph belongs above Bird and, in my mind, potentially above Magic. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. <laughs> and again, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's controversial to, for sure. But at some point, you have to look at the length of time that these guys uh, perform at a high level and, and say, okay, Steph is doing it for longer and he's playing at a higher level, you know, at, at this point of his career that I think probably bird or magic was. And, um, you know, because by the time, you know, magic played in his, in his last NBA finals, it was pretty well understood that he was not the same guy that, that he once was, you know, when bird at the end of his career, you know, you saw him laying on the hardwood floor, like trying to just keep his body from locking up so that he could get back out on the field on the court again um and like i said as every year passes from here on out i think that that's going to move curry further and further up that list it's hard I, it's interesting for me because i think in some ways um kobe is ranked too low i think in some ways kobe should be ranked higher than um, you know, bird or, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's a tricky thing because of the way that guys um, are able to protect their bodies and, and maintain their careers. Now it, it's really hard to, to make some of these assessments. I think that's, that's a good point you make. And I think, you know, that's why I think Curry certainly has a chance to kind of grow his place in this, but I would say the thing about Curry is he was kind of a late bloomer in terms right. of a superstar. And so if I'm going to make the case that Curry does not belong with those other guys, that's what I would point to. It's like Magic was a finals MVP as a 20-year-old rookie who scored 42 points in a closeout game with Kareem on the bench. You know, like that's that's the argument that I make for like Magic Johnson as being, you know, just about better than anyone else. It's like, who, show me the list of guys that were capable of doing that as a 20-year-old rookie. Uh, oh, of course. Larry Bird won his first NBA championship in his second year in the league. Uh, Shaq took the magic to the, to the finals within a couple of years mm. of, of being drafted number one in that draft. Kobe was playing in the finals as a young player, as a complimentary player to Shaq, but then kind of eventually kind of becoming like the co-alpha mm. on that team. Uh, Tim Duncan won a title, I think, in his second year with San Antonio uh, so all of those guys 
like stamped themselves as like title winning or title contending guys right. pretty much right off the bat. Whereas Curry went to college for three years, then played three years in the NBA before he even experienced the playoffs. And so it's kind of been this, this uh, late prime of his career where he's yeah. 34 years old and arguably playing at a higher level than he's ever played before, I think is a better defensive player than he's been mm-hmm. throughout his career. Um, I think the game, the 43 point game he turned in, in Boston in, in, uh, in game four of that series is the best single game he's had in his career. So you're right that he's peaking at a, at an age by this point, magic and bird were, I mean, done with their careers. Uh, but it is a late blooming career. You know, it took him a while yeah. to kind of, get to kind of find his his traction in the nba and so i guess that's kind of a counterpoint the thing that i think what curry has that maybe a player like Shaq or duncan especially don't have is curry has completely changed the landscape of the league right his influence i was gonna make too yeah yeah his influence and that's something that i think I think Magic and Bird kind of can compete with them on that level. I mean, they they were the most influential stars of the 80s and then certainly Jordan in the 90s. Uh, I think particularly like, Magic as that six foot nine point guard, you know, running that Showtime offense. Yes. That had never been seen before. Now we see, you know, tall point guards playing in the NBA. Exactly. But- but he was the first to do it and and perhaps better than anybody who ever has. Well, and Larry Bird was a 6'10 guy who was the best shooter on the floor, which has kind of paved the way for the Dirk Nowitzkis or the Kevin Durants or these guys that that in a different era would be asked to, you know, post up, but but now are comfortable kind of just being these long-range bombers. And so yeah, I think Magic and Bird kind of have a special place in in that sense. But like Tim Duncan was the most beautiful, like fundamental post player that I can remember watching. Right. But he didn't spawn a generation of guys like working on their post moves. On their glass, you know? yeah, on their glass uh, backboard shots, yeah. Yeah, whereas you go into a middle school gym and you've got uh-huh. kids jacking up threes because they want right. to be like Steph Curry or they want to do what Steph Curry did, so... Yeah. I, I think and, and uh, I wanted to make a point about that because I think, um, you know, I was listening to a podcast a, a few weeks ago and it was about Ricky Henderson, uh, you know, the great Oakland A's, yeah. New York Yankees. Um, and, you know, he, he is a guy that radically changed the game. And one of the things that they were talking about in the podcast was that he broke the all time steals record at like 31 years old, you know, and then ended up playing like another 10 years. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that record, it doesn't look like it's ever going to be tough. Not, not the way the game is played now. You know, yeah. And, and I think, you know, think thinking about that with a guy like Steph Curry, in spite of playing three years of college, in spite of three years of kind of a, a, a slow burn uh, beginning to his career, he Steph Curry broke the all-time three-point record at like 32 years old and yeah. is now just pouring onto that record. If he plays another four or five years, I mean, hypothetically, he could almost double the 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 record that was uh previous previously existed before he came into the league. So 
I think when you look at a, a, a record like that and you say, this is a guy that to your point, Mark, has completely changed the fundamental way that basketball is being played. That's got to somehow push him into that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, and he's also a complete player. I think that's the thing that, that can't, shouldn't get lost. You know uh, he's not just a shooter. Like he's an incredible scorer going to the basket, breaking guys down off the dribble. I mentioned he's become a much better defender. Uh, he he's capable of getting 10 assists in a game when he's distributing to his teammates. He grabbed 10 rebounds in that 43 point game in game four. Yeah. You know, he's a tremendous rebounder for a six, three guard. So he does a lot of other things. And I think just his leadership, you know, the intangibles that, you know, you put Steph Curry on a team and surround him with good players and, and good things are going to happen. Like that, that team is, is going to excel. He's, he's kind of in the Tim Duncan framework of that, of, of just being like a, a really great selfless teammate who guys really seem to love playing or playing with him. So yeah, he's got um, a unique combination of he's he's very humble and he's a guy that like, you know, LeBron James said if he could play with anybody in the NBA, he would want to play with with Steph Curry. He's got that humility and that ability for guys to feel like they want to be, you know, on his team. And yet he's cocky and he's arrogant and he believes that he can, you know, make any shot at any time. And I think that's a really unique dynamic that, um, I mean, I, I don't, I can't, I'm trying to think of another player who really has that same kind of persona where uh, they're both, you know, humble and cocky at a high level and, and, and make that work from a social, emotional, uh, you know, leadership dynamic. Yeah, I mean, I I think um, I think Tim Duncan wasn't that. Tim, Tim Duncan, Duncan was not. humble, but he was not a guy that was gonna you know shimmy after a shot or you know kind of uh, play to the crowd or anything like that. Uh, you know, Duncan was just a business you know man out on the court. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I do think that's where kind of like the comparison to Magic works in the sense that Magic had a pizzazz mm -hmm. you know he would play to the crowd certainly and yet also seemed to be just this perfect teammate that like got everyone else involved and loved to see others succeed and guys love to to play alongside him um you know now his his he was not nearly the scorer that curry was he didn't he right. didn't take on that role i think he he could have if had he needed to if, if he didn't have the teammates that he had but uh but I think that's that's kind of what I think of in terms of a guy that that was a performer. That's the thing is Curry re realizes that this is all kind of theater and he's a mm -hmm. performer and yeah. he's putting on a show. And at the same time, you know, has the humility to um, like is genuinely celebratory of his teammates when they do something well. When Clay Thompson is on a heater, he's trying to get Clay the ball as much as possible. When Jordan Poole has a big quarter. Curry is the first guy off the bench to congratulate him when he's coming, when he comes back to the bench, you know, things like that. So he, he really does delight in the success of others, but also carries himself with, with a swagger that I think 
you have to have if you're going to be his size and be the kind of player that he is. I love it. Well, hey, we've got plenty more to talk about, but we're out of time. Uh, Mark, any any final thoughts as we kind of wrap this thing up for today? I, I guess we'll have to wait uh, wait until another day to kind of unpack uh, the Mariners' fisticuffs with uh, with the Angels. Maybe we'll take a take a few more days to watch watch that on YouTube and and have some fresh thoughts when we get back together. No doubt, no doubt. But I mean, hey, give it up for uh, Julio Rodriguez who hit his twelfth home run today. He was the um, uh, American League Rookie of the Month, and really looking like he could be um, the next really all-time great for the Seattle Mariners team. Uh, it's too it's too early for me to get um, amped up about what they're doing right now. They 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 had won five in a row, um, then they lost the game uh, against uh, the the Angels that the the brawl took place in, but did get a win today against the Orioles. So. Uh, we'll keep our eyes on this Seattle Mariners team, but uh, good stuff. Well, thank you for everybody that has continued to listen to this podcast. We really appreciate your support. Be sure to like us and uh, comment on us. Give us five stars and all that fun stuff. But for all my dog fans out there, go dogs. And for all my duck fans, go ducks. We'll catch you next time. Bye.